We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Abner Maris is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Meris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is today. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champ, his American dream, sports, music, culture, and family life, being a husband, and even being a girl dad. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Metis wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Blue Wire. All right, we're lucky today to be joined by Fred Smoot. You guys know Washington football team cornerback went up against some of those great guys. We don't see too many of those recently. Fred is hosting the Washington football podcast and the media network. And, and uh, he's also doing work for the Washington football team. And obviously you know him as a former cornerback. So we're glad to have him here. Talk a little shop, talk a little statics, give you the match a little bit. And then reminisce a little bit about some of the team, giant teams he faced during his playing career with Washington. So, Fred, thanks for joining us. And, and how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing great, fellas. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it should be great. So I want to dive right into this with a little talk about the Giants on offense versus Washington on defense. So in 2019, Daniel Jones faced a different Washington defense than the one he's going to face this season with Del Rio in now as the defensive coordinator. So can you talk a little bit about Del Rio's system and what coverages he uses on the back end? Because we asked this because the Giants have faced a whole lot of zone coverage this season. Yeah. Daniel Jones has some pretty defined splits with success versus man 
and not so much success for zone. Well, you're going to see that a lot with a lot of teams, especially early in the year, not having an offseason to really put in a lot of the, the, the blitz and the man coverages. Zone is something safe for all 32 defensive coordinators. So, yeah, of course, the first month of the season, you're going to see a lot of zone. But we actually play 50-50 here uh, with that front that we have. We actually play a lot of man-to-man, asking our safeties, asking our linebackers to check tight ends, things like that. Jack Del Rio will mix it up, though. He's one of the few people I know that actually plays a lot of zone blitz on third down. So uh, one thing we do is we play to the strength of the team, and the strength of the team is the defensive front. So mainly we play defenses that allow them to get after the quarterback. And how should we say, like Rivera says, it, uh, stop the run on the way to the quarterback so that the defensive linemen have all the freedom. Yeah, that sounds awesome because it's interesting because Jones has actually found success on third downs versus man because, like you said, most defensive coordinators will use a lot of man on third downs. But I think that'll be something he'll have to keep an eye out for, his own blitzes on third downs. Yeah, also, too, considering the fact that uh, y'all having a tight end that's not really a run blocker, he undresses the offensive immediately, and they're going to pretty much find him first, and they'll probably blitz from the side that he's on. Evan Ingram hasn't exactly done too well in either phase of blocking this season. But, Fred, I wanted to ask you about another question about Daniel Jones. And last year against the Washington football team, He had his best game of his NFL career in that second meeting. But in the first meeting, Washington did a pretty good job shutting him down. Have you had a chance to watch Daniel Jones? Do you have any sort of evaluation on him? Well, first of all, I like any quarterback that's been touched by the hands of one Coach Cutcliffe. Uh, But, yeah, I've got a chance to watch him. He's a... He's a better athlete than most people give him credit for, but he's also going through what quarterbacks in this league go through. When you go through different coaches, when you go through different offenses, they become setbacks. But the, but the, the fan base don't look at it like that. The fan base just wants wins. Well, a quarterback is like raising a child. If you don't nurture them and actually teach them through their mistakes, you won't get the best from them. So he's going through the same thing Dwayne Haskins is going from, and that's being misplaced in different offenses. Having uh, one-dimensional tight ends, I think that's the worst thing you can ever give a quarterback. And also not having stability on the offensive line. But when I see Daniel Jones, I, I see an athlete, and I see a guy you can win with. But I'm one of those big guys that – I like to hear the guy's name. If you tell me a football player's name, I can kind of tell you what his career is. And Daniel Jones is a very regular name. It don't have a, <laughs> it, don't, it don't have the spark of a Patrick Mahomes, uh, Joe Montana, uh, John Elway. So I, I think sometimes in the name you get success. <laughs> I like to hear that, and I think it's really interesting. So far, you've brought up the Giants' tight end situation twice because the Giants used the 2017 first round pick on Evan Ingram. Guy came in with 4.42 clock speed at the combine, was used up the seam at Ole Miss, surprisingly not used uh, not used there really well for the Giants so far. But like you said, I think a key point here is that when you have these one-way tight ends, and he really is, and it's not his fault, He, if you watch him on film, he puts in the effort as a blocker. He just doesn't have the frame for it. And when you have one of these one-dimensional tight ends, what does that allow a defensive coordinator to do? Well, it undresses your offense. Like we said, we know one thing that's not going to happen. We had Jordan Reed here. The one thing teams knew when we had Jordan Reed is we're not running behind Jordan Reed. So they're gonna, we're going to find the pattern that you like to run, and it's never going to be to that tight end. And also, usually when they have a tight end that's not a good blocker, they, they, they displace him a lot like they do. They move him from the core. Because they understand if they move him from the court, then somewhat you can undress us. But it it just makes you one dimension. It makes you a pass happy offense that you can't run behind a guy, and it totally undresses everything for us, making it an easy read, an easy check, 
and we're going to slow your running game down no matter what because we always plus one in the run game. I actually have a uh, question about coaching with young defensive backs because the Giants have a bunch of young defensive backs who seem to be playing a lot better. And we kind of want to know how much of a difference does coaching make with younger defensive backs because Joe Judge seems like he brought in a couple different coaching techniques, as did Patrick Graham, and they seem to be maximizing some of these young corners that the Giants have, specifically Ryan Lewis. Well, what you, what you look for in a young corner is, is he afraid of the moment? Is he afraid to get in the game and press when you ask him to press? Is he afraid to be on the island alone? Most of these guys have the athletic ability. Do they have the mental, mental ability to not only play this game at a high level? Because I tell people this about cornerbacks all the time. Don't ever take us to church with you because we're good at three things, and that's lie, cheating, and stealing. We do it at a high, high level, and we always try to do that at a high, high level. What he's doing is putting them in coverages that make them feel comfortable, but he's also keeping a, a safety in the middle of that field. And when you keep a safety in the middle of that field, that tells me as a corner, I don't have to worry about the post much. I can play more heavy to the outside and do certain things. And that's what he's teaching them. He's teaching them how to defend yourself using leverage. Use the defensive call to defend yourself. If it's cover three, I know I have to be the deepest in my zone. I'm not worried about playing comebacks. Are they going to run comebacks? Yes, that ain't my call. Yeah, it's really interesting you bring that up, Fred, because we've heard that too. I mean, they're really doing a good job of teaching leverage there. That's not something we've seen really in recent seasons with the Giants. And I kind of basing this question off the last one a little bit, the Giants in 2019, they had James Betcher as their defensive coordinator, and they tried to use a, a really diverse variety of coverages. They used pattern match, and there was seemed to be multiple breakdowns, coverage breakdowns per game. And now you look at 2020 with Patrick Graham as a new defensive coordinator, he's still mixing up the coverages, but these breakdowns have all gone away. So as someone has played the game at a high level like you have, what can you attribute that night and day to as both, you know, both coordinators using diverse coverages, but in one scenario, you're getting multiple breakdowns per game, and the other, you're getting seemingly none. Well, one coach is, he's, think about this. He, he probably tells them, we're going to learn how to play three coverages to the T. So the more you simplify for young guys is the faster they play. You don't want a football player thinking, you want a football player reacting. So he's telling them and teaching them three, three coverages and making sure that they can do the best they can in those coverages. Because when you start to hand off routes and route patterns and stuff like that, you can only do that with chiseled bets. You can only do, I, I can do that with Sean Springs all the time because me and Sean played years together. Plus, when Sean got here, he was already a veteran. But with young guys, you don't want to hand off uh, routes like that, especially when you're playing against uh, offensive genius like an Andy Reid. He's going to pick up on stuff like that, and he's going to put your young guys in a bad position. Sometimes the less you put in is the better it is. It, it allows young players to play a lot faster when they're not thinking as much. And that actually makes a lot of sense, too, because last year we saw DeAndre Baker really struggle, especially in terms of those blurring kind of calls. So... I mean, that's, you can really attribute that to what DeAndre Baker uh, did for the Giants last year. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. I can always tell when a player is thinking uh, uh, opposite of just playing the game and, and, and getting into the, uh, the motion of the game. Like, thinking, like they say, you think long, you think wrong, especially in sports. It's all about habits. But before I go on any longer, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our lovely sponsors. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving. And that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. 
you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates you will see fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Absolutely. And uh, I wanted to touch on a little bit more with the Giants secondary. Against the Rams, the Giants used a lot of switch coverages on the back end between the outside corner and that apex defender, whether that be the slot or a safety dropping down. How difficult are those switch coverages mid-stem for these back end of the defense to really do in real time? And is it all predicated on like cohesiveness and communication? Well, I'm going to say it's our communication and prior film study. Once we, like, when we study film, we're not studying players. We're studying the offensive coordinator. We're studying offensive habits. We're studying, all right, if I'm the right corner and my guy starts to motion in, I'm alerting my nickel right now. I'm alerting my outside linebacker right now because they have three or four plays that they run from this. So these indicators is what we're going to use to communicate. Like, they can only do things for a reason. When, when, when wide receivers get into a bunch formation, they're only restricting so they can get wide. They're not restricting to stay restricted. So once you know these things, you start to play the, the mind game. And you play in the mind game with the offensive coordinator. Now what you have to do is be on the same page with your, your players and also with your defensive coordinator so he lets you know clearly how we're going to defend this stuff when they start to move players. Realistically speaking now, moving on to Washington's offense, do you think they can make a run in the NFC East with either Kyle Allen or Alex Smith? Because those guys' names are pretty ordinary. (laughs) (laughs) You are right about that. They are ordinary names, but they can do some extraordinary things. I think the Alex Smith story is just a wonderful story. Uh, You know, just to see his family smiling and, and, and seeing him go through what he's went through, 17 surgeries, saying he'll never walk again, all this, just to see him back out there doing what he loves. That's a great thing. And what we got with uh, Kyle Allen is we got a guy that for like five, six weeks last year for the Carolina Panthers, this offense was one of the top offenses in the league. And I think what the coaches feel is he knows the offense. 
you know, they feel like they didn't get Haskins a fair chance because in the offseason, he didn't get a chance to, to put everything in. He doesn't know what coaches want. He did go to Ohio State where he had four first-round receivers and never threw to a tight end or a running back. When you come to the, in the league, the tight end and the running backs are your best friend in the passing game. So I think that has a lot to do with why Haskins is not playing. But I think Kyle, if he doesn't turn the ball over, I think that's what coaches don't like from young quarterbacks, turning the ball over. And I think that's one thing that Kyle and Alex will do is not turn the ball over. But you're completely right. Their names are basically regular, unleaded gas. It's, it's, it's 83 if we pull up to the pump. Talked about Haskins in the past. It's very interesting as we're going to watch another top quarterback prospect from that same school come in this year, Justin Fields. It's going to be interesting to see quarterbacks coming into Ohio State now because Haskins, to me, is an interesting eval because if you watch him at Ohio State, he really looks like a more seasoned quarterback than he's looked in the NFL. And I think a lot of that has to do with how quickly some of those players are getting open at Ohio State versus Big Ten linebackers and how it's not always there in the NFL. So we'll have to see what happens with Haskins. Um, I think there's still a lot of And I don't think it's just his wide receivers. I think it had a lot to do with the fact he played a spread offense. And when you play four and five wide receivers, your windows to throw are cleaner. Uh, The defense has the – we have to let you know what we in a lot earlier. He, you can identify man and zone very quickly when it's four and five wide receivers. And also you're throwing into totally bigger windows. And that's what it is. And now he's coming from under the center and he's had to read on the run. And that's something he wasn't used to. Yeah. And, and, and as you mentioned, I mean, not only is he not used to playing under center, if you see the footwork in his dropbacks, it's just it's not, you know, he, at, at Ohio State, he's playing from the gun almost every snap. And, and there's obviously a learning curve there, too, I think. So we'll have yep. to see what happens there. But I wanted to know if you had a chance at all to watch James Bradbury. He's a sign, He's a player the Giants signed from Carolina this offseason. Most yep. expected him to be kind of an above-average cornerback, but he's really evolved his game in Patrick Graham's defense. Uh, he's probably been one of the five best corners in the NFL. He shut down Allen Robinson, which no one's done this season besides him. He shut down Amari Cooper. And now I think he's going to potentially shadow Terry McLaurin, who is an excellent receiver. My question for you is this. Have the Redskins kind of varied how they use McLaurin, moving him into the slot and then on the boundary and just finding ways to have him with that? Well, I can tell you this. uh, For a year and almost uh, one-fourth of a season, I've watched some of the top cornerbacks try to stop Terry McLaurin, and none of them have. I'm sorry. He's good in out of cuts. He uh, never drops ball. He's a strong route runner. He can get on top of you. He can get under you. He can come up missing. He's one of those guys, as long as the quarterback throw it in his vicinity, he will come down to it. But to your point with uh, Bradbury, he's one of those guys, it kind of reminds me of myself, if you're playing in a losing situation, but you're playing a high-quality corner, you would never get the love of a cornerback that's playing half as good as you on a winning team. And that's what he's going to go through right now. He's going to play some high-level football, and nobody's going to give him props or appreciation for it because he's playing in New York right now. But he played well in Carolina. He's just one of those guys who silently goes out there, does his job. Uh, put his, He has a worker mentality. He's one of those guys, like I say, he, he'll be a pro for a long time. But because, one, he don't chatter two he's not playing for a winning team i don't know if he ever gonna get the love out of props he deserves i love mcclaurin coming out of that draft and he seems like he's uh living up to that down there in washington but i want to touch on a more veteran type player fred and that's ryan kerrigan he's yeah 32 years old he has 92 career sacks and us giants fans kind of know full well what kind of terror he can be but how much do you feel he has left in the tank and how much of that is maximized by the presence of the great Chase Young and Montez Sweat? 
I, I've been to say, I think Chase and Montez has added two years to his career, you know. The yeah. one thing I've always liked about Kerrigan as a cornerback is he's a great pass rusher. The next thing I hate uh, about Kerrigan is he's terrible against the run. Never been good against the run, but this coaching staff has, I, I, I guess, talked him into it and makes him understand how serious playing the run is. So he was always one of those guys you could run at, but uh, he can get out to the passer. And I think these young guys just added a couple of years to his career, especially, you know, with him being at the end of his contract and being a guy that's always been a good core Washington guy. Yeah, I, I can see him playing two or three more years just because of these youngsters. They can get most of the snaps. What have those, that trio and the Washington and Del Rio, what they're kind of dialing up, what have they done to opposing offensive lines? Because Dan and I, we're not too confident in the Giants' offensive line. Well, they have been getting after them. The one thing about this line that makes that frustrates people, uh, for years you could double team one of them. You could double team John Allen. You could double team Deron Payne. You, you, you have to literally singly block these guys now, which is going to be totally impossible when you got Montez Sweat and Chase coming for one end. So if you're running away from Chase, you're just running away. I'm running to Montez. So if you're trying to get through the middle, you're running into a brick wall. And we don't even have Ionitis on the squad right now. So imagine that we had Ionitis. Tim Settles has came in. This D-line, I'm telling you now, and I've told people before this year started, this D-line, when it's all over, it's said and done with, will be one of the best assembled D-lines of all time. And I said that. And, yeah. I, and I, I know what talent they have, and I know what deals we're going to get. The great thing about it is, one John Allen still hasn't maxed out talent-wise. So when it's time to pay him a year from now, we're going to get a deal. Deron Payne hasn't maxed out. We're going to get a deal. Now, we're going to have to pay the ends, but nobody cares about paying a straight hand clone because you know what you get <laughs> from it. The last time we won a Super Bowl here in Washington, we had Charles Mann and Dexter Manley on defense. We had the Hogs on offense. If you, if you control the trenches in football, you control the game. It's never about the skinny guys like myself. It's about the fat guys that smell like bacon. And guess what? what we got it sold up on one side and we're working on the other kind of leads into my next question and before i say that i want to say i completely agree i feel like they've just stolen value in the draft when it comes to sweat when it comes to allen these guys are just excellent value picks and then they fell into chase young let's be honest i mean anyone could have made that evaluation and if you don't take him at two and you don't need a quarterback you're making a mistake um and the giants just missed him so that one will sting for giants fans especially with the way andrew thomas is playing right now which has not been very good but i want to ask you about what you said last there and we're going to kind of transition to more of a kind of a thirty thousand foot view of where the reds of where the washington football team and giants are at and then kind of reminisce on some of your days playing against this Giants team. But for years, the Giants have kind of had that top-down view, discussing the importance of being this physical team like they were during the Parcell, Parcells and Belichick era. And they kind of stressed the importance of running the ball and stopping the run. They've done that both with their words and actions. They peppered almost all their assets into the interior defensive line. They drafted Saquon Barkley, a running back at two. So in your opinion, as now a former player, who played kind of in that era where the game has transitioned. Do you think this philosophy can still work in 2020? Oh, yeah, most definitely the philosophy can still work because, like I said, it ain't about the Jimmy and the Joes. It's never about us. Think about it. I could have a great quarterback. Let's just say Haskin was great. He had Pat Mahomes' talent. How would we even know when the offensive line never give him a chance to prove anything? And if I got a dominant defensive line, I don't got to go out there and sign Deion Sanders at cornerback. I can have an average cornerback, and he will play like a pro bowler because NFL quarterbacks – only make mistakes when they're under pressure. They only make mistakes when you force them to, and the D-line is the one that can force them. You will never, 
beat Pat Mahomes for the next 10 years thinking you're going to blitz people. You have to have four guys up front that can get after the passer, and you got to drop the rest of the team. That's the only way to beat these guys. If you can't beat a Lamar Jackson, if you don't have a defensive line, I am convinced, and I always will be convinced, whoever dominates the trenches, We'll win games. And you don't need named guys. You don't need high draft picks up on your front line to get that. You need continuity, and you need a great coach, and you can get the best out of those guys. That's interesting, too, Fred, because there's actually been some analytic studies, and and I'm curious to get your take on them lately, that are suggesting with the way the game has moved, because so many offenses now are designed to get the ball out in under two, two and a half seconds, that actually pass coverage may be more important then pass rush, and that's something the Ravens have really done a great job showing. They've kind of poured a lot of assets into pass coverage, less so on, and let those kind of edge guys go. Do you think there's any, as somebody who's played the game, do you think there's any truth behind this, having, you know, just better coverage is more important than pass rush? Do you still believe in the pass rush? I always, I think they just work hand in hand. What make it work so good in Baltimore with Marcus Peters and Humphreys is these guys will get up, press you. I, if you want to take away uh, the timing out of a, a passing game, press these wide receivers and force them to beat you one-on-one. I'm sorry, everybody don't have the defensive backfield that the Ravens got. Everybody can't go man-to-man for 80 plays. You know, so there go the thing. Do you have the people to get the job done? Sometimes the D-line going to win, sometimes the quarterback's going to win. I think they work hand-in-hand, but I think it starts up front because the quarterback is who I have to beat. Like, people always ask me, who is the harder wide receiver to take? I don't give a damn who the wide receiver is. Right, who tell me who throwing him the ball? Because if it's <laughs> Nate Peterman, he ain't got a chance if he Randy Moss. <laughs> Speaking of wide receivers, Fred, every Giants fan remembers the 07 championship game where Plaxico Burris had his way with Al Harris in that yeah. specific, uh, game. And Plax was, I mean, we, we all remember him in a very fond light. So I wanted to get your, uh, your take on what was it like covering someone like Plaxico Burris? Well, first of all, Plex is my guy. Of course, me and him throw a golf tournament down here yearly, so I'm tied to the hit with Plex. And we have had battle after battle. I don't know what it was. Greg Williams, my coordinator, knew that I was very good with tall receivers, so he would literally lead me over there man-to-man with Plex by myself the whole game. He would do it all the time. Plex is very hard to stop because I'm going to tell you something about big, tall receivers that can run. They are bad pass catchers. And the one thing Eli Manning was good at is throwing bad-ass passes sometimes. And Plex, <laughs> would, and Plex would make it look good. He would make it look easy. His, think about this. With Plex being 6'5", 6'6", his catch radius literally is 5 to 10 yards. All right, so he's a hard guy to stop, not just in the red zone, but in the open field, especially when you've got man-to-man. When I say battles, hey, he kept me up all night. But, you know, some of those battles I won, some of those battles I lost, but I enjoyed them all. Fred, so since we talked about Burris a little bit, what about someone like Amani Toomer, who was more of a nuanced veteran? How was covering someone like that? Oh, that's frustrating. Uh, Amani Toomer, let me tell you something, because he would outslow you. Him, Keenan McCardell, those type <laughs> of receivers, they will, work, they will use your speed against you, all right? And that, that's the most frustrating thing. And the one thing about Amani was he loved – he can catch, how should I say, passes that – most guys wouldn't catch because I'm all over him. Like, contested passes was his thing. And like I said, he would literally let you outrun him just so he can come back under you and catch a, a, a comeback or come back under you and catch a dig route or something like that. So he was one of those guys real frustrating. And then the one thing about it, him and Kerry Collins was on the same page. Like, they could literally look at each other, change the play, and go from there. So it made it always hard to check those receivers sometimes when they have that relationship with their quarterback. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I think based on what you said, I mean, people don't realize something about Plaxo Burris. A lot of people think that he kind of just got away with using his natural talent, but he was one of the most detailed studiers of the game. He had notebooks full of notes that he traded with Eli and really helped Eli in that regard as well. So I think really the Giants were lucky to have those guys. And it's interesting for me to hear that they kind of like Greg Williams, who was your coordinator, kind of put you on an island with Blacks because that, you know, I don't know if that was, I mean, for like you said, you had some battles you won. So it worked out. I mean, Blacks' biggest games weren't against the Washington football team, but definitely an interesting strategy there. No, the one thing Greg was great at is he knows his guys and he knows who match up well. Like Sean's freeze for him to be so big, he did match up well against smaller receivers. And and, and what Greg understood with me, anytime I play T.O., Randy Moss, any of these guys, you never see me on any of their highlight reels. Right? Because I literally, that was my cup of tea. I love to shut down big, tall guys. So Greg would say, hey, you got plicks. You know what they're going to run because they did simple things in that offense. They ran three by one. They put Plex to the, the, the back side by himself, and they put the back to that side. All right, that side is the man side. So when they run, when the offense initiates, once Eli realized man is on, if it's man, he's coming back side to Plex. If it's zone, he's going front side to the three wide receiver side, to the tight end, to Shockey. That's the zone beater. And they ran this all the way to the Super Bowl and won a Super Bowl running that scheme. Kevin Gilbride's run-and-shoot offense. It's, it's so funny because – uh, he ended up uh, flaming out eventually in New York because people thought his scheme was too simplified. But now you have all these guys who have come in since and try to run a more complicated scheme or whatever it may be, and they haven't found that same kind of success, and they never did with Eli. Eli was definitely best fit for that system, that run-and-shoot vertical-oriented system, and, and yet you know, it never came back. And it's just interesting, like you said, so such a simple system, but it worked. Well, guess what? You got a tight end that's a dual threat at the time. Shocking. We didn't know if he was running or blocking. Then you got a guy that's not scared to catch passes over the middle. That opens up the middle. And if you open up the middle, it makes us play one-on-one on the outside. Easy read. Was Shockey a big uh, trash talker, Fred? Oh, one of the best trash talkers. But you know me, <laughs> I, I got a potted mouth. So I, I we had our battles out there, but I enjoyed them all. That's awesome, Fred. I want to ask you a question kind of that circles around where both the Washington football team and the Giants are at right now. And you hear a lot of this from the Giants. I'm sure you hear a lot of it from Washington. It's all about building and changing the culture. So I feel like fans of teams and the people who are listening to this podcast, they don't really get a clear view of what that ever means. So as someone who's played the game, what goes into building that winning culture? And is it even possible to take a step in that direction while you're losing games when your roster's kind of not in that place yet? Well, it, it looks better on our end than y'all in because we're in a total rebuild and we have the right head coach. He's changing the culture. It's like, it, it, put it like this, it's like when your mom get married again. Now, it's a stepdad coming in his house with some new rules that you're going to have to abide by. And that's just, <laughs> what it, that's just what it is. So it's actually whatever old habits that, the old coach that you have is cleaning up those old habits, uh, getting new habits in. And you can only start to win once everybody buys in. And that's the key. Once everybody buys into your vision, your look. And, of course, to do that, you got to purge. And I think the best thing that Coach did around here, everybody over the age 28, he literally got them out the building. He purged them all. So, and you got to realize, when you got a new coach that's not married to anybody, beside his first draft class, everybody is one of those guys that can lose their job. And it's a, it's a process. And the question is, does your fan base trust the process? I think here in Washington, with new everything, I think we're trusting the pro- process up there. I don't really see y'all building because I don't see a youth movement. 
besides uh, your quarterback and running back, a couple of D linemen sprinkled here and there, I don't see really a youth movement. I see a team that's trying to win now when they should be trying to build. Brett, I actually want to ask you about some of your own experiences. You mentioned Greg Williams before, and I want to know what coaches had the most influence over your career. Uh, well, of course, the defensive coordinators have you know, with defensive players have a lot to do with you. But Marty Schottenheimer drafted me. And, you know, Marty was a corner guy, so he loves his cornerback. He spent much room in our room than any room. So it started off with Marty. And, of course, I had Greg Williams. I've had Mike Tumlin as a defensive coordinator. Uh, I've had Joe Gibbs as a head coach, who is the best head coach I've ever had in my life. And he had a large influence on my life and still does. Uh, so those type guys, man, you don't, you don't forget about those type guys. I want to circle back there and ask you about coaching in general, because I feel like this is another thing where the fans may have a disconnect, and even young analysts like us just trying to you know, get a feel for how much of an impact coaching can have. In my mind right now, if you ask me what the biggest issue with the Giants' offense is right now, it's that Jason Garrett is the offense coordinator. I'll say it point blank. I've studied, this, I've studied his offense now enough on the All-22. I've seen enough. My question for you is, how much of an impact is it really from the coaching? What percentage is coaching, and, and how much is just the players that are on the field? Uh, first of all, the coaching is 100% of the game. You have terrible coaches, you have a terrible career. You have terrible coaches, you're going to have a terrible season. You are, like, think about this. Pro sports is the only time that you become the best at what you do and you go to the sorriest team. Like, if I'm the best tech guy, <laughs> I'm probably going to work for Apple. You know, that's just the way it goes. All right? But in, in sports, you go to the most terrible setup. It, it ruins careers. Josh Rosen, career ruined, terrible coach. It happens. Like, I was a prisoner of some bad coaches. Like, especially with, with Jim Zorn, terrible coach. Like, and when you have these terrible coaches, it shortens your career. If I easily get drafted by New England, I probably play 14 years. They're just the way it go. With success comes uh, the luxury of, of playing a long career. So, to that end... Players are at the mercy of all of their coaches almost to dictate their career. Yeah, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense, Fred. And I, I even more, even just on a more specific level from a schematic standpoint and play calling standpoint, that's kind of where I'm more at with Garrett. If you feel like, A, he's not utilizing the players to their best ability, I think that's certainly been the case with Evan Ingram, um, among other players, including the fact that he's not using running backs in the passing game. And from that standpoint, is there ever a disconnect with the players and the coaches? Like, Hey, listen, you're not using my skill set the best way. Because we kind of got that a little bit from Ingram this week when he kind of was like, I just do what the coaches said when they asked him why he's running so many curls. And it's just like, I just do what the coaches say. And kinda- yep, they go to disconnect. You are totally correct. The one thing, he's not going to go out and shoot himself in the foot and be like, the coach stinks. But that's a way of him saying what he really wants to say is the coach stinks. And the coach is not putting me in position to make plays, but I ain't going to be the one to debit down on the team or not a team player and tell you that. But, yeah, think about this. The only reason I wasn't a wide receiver instead of a cornerback is because I want to control my own destiny. And at the wide receiver position, I can't control my own destiny if I'm here in Washington and Jeff George is my first quarterback, Tony Banks is my second quarterback, Tim Hasselbeck <laughs> is my third quarterback, and, and so forth and so on. No matter how good I am, I would never be able to showcase my skills. That's awesome, Fred. Um, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for, for taking the time today to speak with the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Is there anything else you want to shout out before we jump off? Oh, no, man. Thank you all for having me. Uh, I want to talk to both fan bases and apologize for all this terrible <laughs> football. But the one thing we know about the NFC is when, when one of us down, most of us down. But when, when we all, when everybody gets back, we all four us are usually good at the same time.
No doubt about it, Fred. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com